move these bits there. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Mike. If you're a, a, a regular here at King's Church, you'll know that we um, normally work through different books of the Bible. We've just done that. We've just finished a series looking at uh, 2 Timothy. Um, but sometimes we do something a bit different. Sometimes we, we think about a theme that comes up in the Bible. Other times we uh, focus in on a smaller section, a, a chapter uh, like this one, like Isaiah chapter 40. And so for the next uh, two weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some time just looking at this one particular chapter. Uh, as you would have picked up from the reading, it's a, a rich, uh, dense, wonderful chapter that lifts our eyes uh, to consider who God is, what he is like, uh, and who he is for us. Uh, and so we're going to do that together. Um, why don't we pray before we get stuck in? Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do reveal yourself to us in your word. Father, thank you that as you do that, we are both comforted and challenged by what you have to say. And so, Father, please help us now to see you for who you really are and to respond rightly to what we see. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Make sure you can see Isaiah chapter 40, those first 11 verses uh, in front of you. And, and as we uh, get stuck in, I just want you to think uh, as we begin about a question. Uh, that is, think for a moment, what, what brings you comfort in life? Just think about it. Who or what do you tend to look to when uh, times are tough? Where do you go for, for reassurance when you're uncertain or nervous or anxious about something? What do you, what do you rely on when life feels fragile or uncertain? Where do you go for comfort? We all look for comfort in all sorts of places, don't we? We look for reassurance in all sorts of ways. As Ben has already mentioned this evening, I'm moving on from Chessington in not that long a time to go and be part of a church revitalization in Essex. And so for the last few months, my life has been full of uncertainty. It's been uncertain for me and for my family. Where are we going to live has been a big question. Where are our kids going to go to school? What is the church we're going to going to be like, really? Where's the money going to come from? What if it's all just a big disaster? And I'm back here in September saying, please have me back. What if I'm a disaster? What if it all goes wrong? Or genuinely, my head has been full of all sorts of questions, all sorts of uncertainties. And so, naturally, I, I found myself looking for comfort in all sorts of things. I don't know if you're like me, but, but for me, I tend to find comfort in a sense of control. I tell myself, look, if I can get a plan, if I can control the situation, oh, then I'm okay. Then everything is going to be okay. I just need to know the plan. I tend to look for comfort in control. Uh, maybe that's you. Maybe it's different for you. Maybe comfort for you is found in your relationships. As long as I have that special someone by my side, then I know that life is going to be okay. Maybe it's in your, your bank account. As long as I, I have enough tucked away for emergencies, then I'm, I'm okay. I, I, I'm secure. I, I'm comfortable. Maybe it's shopping, maybe it's your social life. I don't know what it will be for you, but, but because life, frankly, is so often uncertain, because it is so often confusing, 
I think most of us spend quite a bit of time looking for comfort in all sorts of areas. I think that's true for us. It was certainly true for the people of God back in the day of Isaiah. We've jumped sort of slap bang into the middle of this book. Like I say, we don't normally do that, but, but we're going to do that for these next two weeks. And so it's helpful for us to, to understand a bit of the context, a bit, a bit of what's going on at the time, if we're going to understand what it is that God is saying to his people here. And the big thing you need to know at this point is that, that at the point in Isaiah that we've got to, things are not good in the life of God's people. By the time we reach chapter 40, uh, Isaiah is speaking about Israel in exile. Uh, Jerusalem, their home, the, the focal point of their worship has been destroyed by the wicked nation of Babylon. Uh, many Israelites have been killed. Those that haven't have been carried off into exile. They are living as servants in a foreign land. No home and no hope. Uh, but far worse than the physical separation from their homeland is the spiritual separation they're experiencing from their God. You see, the exile, as the first half of Isaiah shows, is, is a consequence of Israel's sin. Uh, they had persistently turned their back on God. Time and time again, they had chosen to worship false gods, uh, the gods of the people around them, rather than the true God who had redeemed them. Israel had rejected the Lord, and the result was their world was full of darkness and despair, chaos and confusion. That's the context. That's the, the kind of situation that we find ourselves in as we come to this chapter. And so the, the big and obvious question for them is, is there any hope? Is there any comfort can I know comfort, or, or are we just doomed to live in despair forever? Or to put it a different way, where is God? Where is God in all of this? Has he abandoned his people forever? Has he, has he just forgotten his promises? Has he given up on us? Israel has deserted God, but, but the question is, has God deserted them? And people ask the same sort of questions today, don't they? Uh, they look at the, the darkness and despair of the world. They, they experience chaos and confusion in their lives. Uh, and they think, well, if there is a God, well, then he's not really bothered about me, is he? Uh, if there is a God, then, then he can't be that interested in the world that he's made. It, maybe he's, he's more like one of those absent landlords that just lets their student flat go into ruin. God has given up on his creation. Even as Christians, we can be tempted to think like that. We can ask, where is God in the mess of my relationships? Where is he in the darkness of my diagnosis? Has, has God just, just given up on me? Is he distant, detached, disinterested in my life? Those are the kinds of questions that, that would have been buzzing around the people of Israel's head in the time of exile. And so it's those questions that bring us to Isaiah chapter 40. Because into the, the darkness and despair of Israel's sin, God speaks to his people through his prophet Isaiah. He, he speaks to them, and, and his message to them can be summed up in this chapter with just one word, can't it? It's there in verse 1. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. 
when Israel is at their lowest point, when, when all hope seems lost, God speaks a word of comfort to them. And just notice what it is that, that brings comfort to a people in despair. Verse 2, he says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God comforts his people with a message of forgiveness. He speaks tenderly to them as he tells them of his plan to redeem them. His plan to bring them out of exile and and to restore them to himself. And so right at the start you can see that that it's this message of forgiveness, this, this message of reconciliation and restoration that can bring true comfort to God's people. This is the message they needed to hear. It's the message we all need to hear, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in this evening. And so in the rest of the chapter, Isaiah's going to show us more of what it means to to know and to to really experience the comfort of the Lord. And this evening, we're going to see three things from these first 11 verses. The first is that we experience God's comfort when we remember that he has come for us. Uh, there, are, there are three voices that we hear in this passage. The first comes in verse 3. Just look there. Uh, a voice of one calling, In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Uh, the first voice we hear in the chapter is the voice found in the wilderness. And his message is one of preparation. Get ready says the voice, get ready because the Lord is coming. Uh, We all get the idea of what he's saying, don't we? We know what it is to to get ready to prepare for the arrival of someone important. Uh, We've just a week ago celebrated the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. I was reading a bit around uh, this week and discovered that apparently preparations cost the government around £30 million. I was kind of hoping for a bigger number there to make the point, but it it's still, it's quite a big number, but then I carried on reading and discovered that didn't include a whole lot of things. It didn't include the party at the palace. It didn't include uh, the increase in police presence that was needed. It didn't include the, the funding for all the school literature that went out across the country. But the biggest one of all, uh, having an extra bank holiday. Uh, a bank holiday that we all enjoyed, but apparently cost the economy around £2.3 billion. We know what it is to prepare, don't we? To to get ready for someone or something important. Uh, But Isaiah takes it to another level here. Uh, Thousands of people might have lined the streets of London for the arrival of the Queen, but verse 4 says, the whole earth will make way for the Lord. Valleys will be raised up, mountains made low. In other words, it's as though Isaiah is saying creation itself will step aside for the coming of the Lord. Nothing is going to get in his way. Nothing will prevent his arrival. This God is unstoppable. And so you might have turned your back on him, Israel, says the voice. You might have rejected and rebelled against this God, but listen now. Listen, get ready, because he is coming for you. The Lord is coming. 
And when he does, verse 5, his glory will be revealed. When he comes, all people will see and experience the the full majesty, the, the full weight of the living God. It'll be unmissable, it'll be unmistakable, it'll be unavoidable and undeniable. This is a day like no other. It is a moment in time when the world will be turned upside down. The Lord is coming for his people. And so how, how astonishing, how incredible it is then that the next time that you hear an announcement like this one in Isaiah is on the lips of a man preaching in the wilderness about 700 years later. We've been looking at Mark's gospel on Sunday mornings, haven't we? And if you can remember back to chapter 1, right back at the start, we met a man called John the Baptist, a peculiar man. And do you remember how Mark introduced him? Mark 1, verse 1. As it is written in the Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark says that the voice in Isaiah 40, verse 3, is the voice of John the Baptist. The one who cries out in the wilderness is the one found preaching in the Judean countryside. And as we saw right back at the start of term, if John is the voice, then that means Jesus is the Lord. The one who comes in sovereign power, the one that that creation steps aside for, is this carpenter from Nazareth. John, at the beginning of his gospel, says that it's in Jesus, the word made flesh, that God's glory, the glory of verse 5, is revealed. It is seen in him. This is that day. Jesus is the Lord who comes for his people. And so John says, be ready. Be ready for the coming of the Lord. How do you do that? How do you get ready for his coming? Mark 1 verse 1 again. John appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The way to get ready for this king, the way to get ready for the Lord, is to repent. It is to turn around. You see, just like Israel all those years ago, we have spent all of our lives living for all sorts of things. We might not bow down to, to blocks of wood like they did. We, we might not worship the, the statues of the gods of, our na- of the nation around us. But we all do worship things that are not the living God, don't we? We all trust in and build our lives on all sorts of things that are not God. And the result of that decision, the the consequence of that idolatry, that is no different to the idolatry of Israel, is that we live in spiritual exile. Ever since the day that that humanity was kicked out of the Garden of Eden, we have have lived as, as spiritual outlaws, rebels, helpless, hopeless, living in a world of darkness and despair, and all because we have turned our back on God. And so maybe that is something that you, that you know all too well this evening. 
Maybe you can think of the things that you have chosen to live for instead of the living God. Maybe you know that, that you have walked away from him. That you have rejected him in your heart. But as you sit here this evening, you're wondering whether there is a way back. Whether things can be made right again or whether you have just, frankly, you've just gone too far this time. Look, can you see the comfort of Isaiah 40? Can you see the good news of Mark chapter 1? The Lord has come for his people. They have walked away from him, but he has not given up on them. He has not deserted or abandoned them. He has come for them. In the person of his son, Jesus Christ, God comes for his people. He comes for you. And if you want to be ready for him this evening, if you want to, if you want to return to him, all you need to do is repent. All you need to do is turn around. Turn away from the things that you have been living your life for and come to Jesus. Comfort my people, says the Lord, because I'll come for them. And then secondly, comfort my people, says the Lord, because I have spoken to them. The second voice comes in verse 6, and you can see what he says there. All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness, uh, faithfulness is like the flowers of the fields. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. A bit of a gear crunch here, isn't it? Because we've begun this chapter talking about the comfort of the Lord, but this is not the most comforting kind of thing to say to someone, is it? Remember that you're going to die. But that's what this new voice wants us to grasp. Because in order to understand God's comfort, we also have to know the, the discomfort of our weakness we need to know and and come to terms with just how fragile and temporary we really are we need to be reminded of this because well because people do look quite impressive don't they certainly on the surface we can seem impressive like the flowers blooming in the spring people have a, a sense of beauty People might even look at you and be impressed with you for a while. But it is only for a while. Because the voice says, just like the flowers of the fields, we are beautiful but fragile. It only takes my, my three-year-old son and a stick and suddenly my garden isn't quite so beautiful anymore. We are fragile. And we're temporary. We're here for a season and then we're gone. The evangelist Rico Tice often asks people if they know the name of their great-grandfather. I wonder if you do. He says the oft often the answer is no. Only a few generations go by and someone who was once known, loved, respected, maybe even admired, is now forgotten. All people are like grass. This is the voice in Isaiah. Or, or as James puts it in the New Testament, we are like a mist that appears for a while and then is gone. But then look at the contrast in verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. 
We might be temporary, but God's word is not. We might come and go, but, but God's word endures forever. And again, that is something that, that we so often get the wrong way around, isn't it? So often we, we look to, to the temporary things of this world and we think, I'm going I'm to build my life on that. I, I'm going to stake my future on something that, that is fragile. It might be a person, it might be possessions, it might be popularity, it might be prestige. All great things, but all things that Isaiah says, don't be fooled, they, they don't last. No matter how good they are right now, they will fail in the end. God's word is the only certain thing in this world. His promises are the only thing that will never fail. And so we can put our full weight, our, our full hope on them. That we can lean on and find comfort in the word of God because it is eternal. It won't break. It won't run out. It won't become outdated. It won't become irrelevant. No matter what our society says, God's word endures forever. And that is especially important for us to grasp because it's in his word that he makes the promises of forgiveness and life. It's in his word that he shows us how to be made new, how to be restored to a relationship with him that will last forever. Uh, that's the point that, that the Apostle Peter is making when he quotes these verses from Isaiah. Uh, you don't need to turn there, but just, just listen to what Peter says about these verses. He's writing and he says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Like Isaiah, Peter says God's word is eternal. It is imperishable, he says. And because that imperishable word has been planted in you, because you've heard and believed the word preached to you, you now are imperishable. You now have been born again with new, imperishable DNA. As one person put it, God's enduring word creates an enduring people. And so do you see, we can know the, the comfort of the Lord and we see that, that he has come for us in his son, Jesus Christ. We can know the comfort of the Lord when we see that, that he has spoken to us in his eternal word and he has made us imperishable by that word. And finally, we can know the comfort of the Lord when we, rem when we remember that he cares about us. The final voice comes in verses 9 to 11. And this time it's a messenger. It's someone who has come to declare good news. Look at verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to, the, to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. This voice brings good news. What is the good news to be proclaimed? What, what do they need to go to the mountaintops to shout? End of verse 9. Here is your God. 
This is the good news. This is the, the gospel that needs to be declared from the highest mountain. Behold your God. Look and see him as he really is. He is the good news. And notice who this news must be declared to. You who bring good news to Zion, to Jerusalem, to the towns of Judah. This is good news for God's people. We often talk, don't we, about about sharing the gospel, the good news with unbelievers. We evangelize those out there, people outside the church. But here do you see the voice of the evangelist is proclaiming the gospel to God's people. And so there is a sense in which we need to evangelize each other. We bring comfort to one another when we proclaim this good news. When we say, here is your God. Here is your God, verse 10, who has complete power. Verse 10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. Uh, The Lord's arm, as you might know, is a picture of his strength, of his sovereign rule and power. And so to a a people that are living in chaos and confusion, to a, a people wondering whether their life has just spiraled completely out of control, the voice of comfort says, Here is your God. Here is the one who rules in power. The one who is in complete control of everything that is happening. Here is the one who controls the universe. His world and your life are not beyond him. He is the powerful ruler. But he's also the gentle shepherd. Verse 11, this same God tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The mighty God is also the good shepherd. With that same powerful arm, he gently gathers his people. And so can you see that God does not only come for his people, He cares about them. But when we come to Christ, the good shepherd, we're not only forgiven, as wonderful as that is, we are welcomed. We are gathered. We are loved. As one person put it, forgiveness is not just the end of enmity between us and God. It's the experience of friendship. He is the God who delights in his people, the God who delights in you and in me. We are his reward, verse 10, and he carries us close to his heart, verse 11. We're going to think a lot more next week about this powerful God who provides for his people. But as we close, I hope you've got some sense of the comfort that comes from knowing this God, from beholding him. I hope you've seen that you can know God's comfort comfort when you remember that, that he has come for you. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter how many times you've walked away from him, he has come for you 
in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. You can know God's comfort when you remember that he has spoken to you. In amongst all the the voices of the world around us, all, all the empty promises, God's eternal word has spoken. It is trustworthy and true. It will not fail. And you can know God's comfort when you remember that he cares about you. He is the shepherd king who carries you close to his heart. Here is your God. Here is the one we proclaim. Let's pray together. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Father, what what a wonderful truth that you have revealed yourself to us in this way. The God who has come for us, the God who has spoken to us and who cares about us. What a wonderful, what an amazing God you are. Father, would these words be a comfort to us and would we proclaim them for all we're worth so that you might get the glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.